from the Spacebird Media Studios. It's Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. It's Roxanne and Ace Unlimited, which means it's another Friday. You made it to the weekend. Congratulations. And also congratulations to the Chiefs and the 49ers on to the Super Bowl. But we're glad to be back with you, regardless of who's playing, because it really comes down to the commercials and snacks for me. Uh, thanks to my brother's <laughs> cup and Birmingham Mortgage Group for another great week. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. I'm glad that you mentioned the Super Bowl, the big story, of course, Taylor Swift and how she told the cameras from NBC, please stop because she knows it's annoying. How many, yeah. well, to some people it's annoying, yeah. how many shots they have of her. But the big story was how she keeps her red lipstick on, her famous red lipstick, while smooching all over Travis all the time. You know, he doesn't get lipstick on himself. Hers is not smeared. Yeah. So here is the secret. I almost got a tissue to make it like this. <laughs> She puts on her famous red lipstick, which is about four different kinds, all of which are sold out, by the way. She dabs it, then applies another, and may even put a thin layer of powder so that there's no transfer, just to let you know. I know that it's a big deal (laughs) when my wife, she found some kind of, I don't know who it's by, but she found some lipstick that doesn't smear or smudge or whatever, and so I'm like, I don't mind you leaving lips on me because then all day we go, hey, <laughs> you got some lipstick on there. Hey, it's my wife. It's her shade. Well, poor Wayne feels cheated because it's a lot of air kisses because this girl wears a lot of lipstick and it's yeah. really strange to walk in somewhere and your husband has bright pink lips. So <laughs> That's awesome. Well, my son. He was uh, the day after the games, he comes in and he's like, yeah, everybody's going to be going to the Super Bowl. Who's a Taylor Swift fan. I'm like, "Uh, uh-uh, they spent all their money on our concert tickets. They can't afford the Super Bowl. <laughs> he's like, yeah. that's true. Yeah. My daughter saw her once. She said, it'll be a while. We're saving to, to yeah. be able to go again. Jesus holds you tight. It's something super important in a world that is frenetic and there's a lot of anxiety and depression and Things that are hitting people pretty hard these days. Jesus holds you tight, even when you don't have the strength or the faith to hold on to him. And sometimes we fear that we've strayed too far away from him. It reminds me of the guy in ministry who was like, I'll talk to Jesus when I'm done smoking. I'm almost done smoking. And when I'm done, no, 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 no. Hmm. You don't have to take a bath before you go to him for a cleansing. He loves you as you are, where you are. And the other big thing about this that I think is super important, no one can snatch him out of your hands. We think, well, I've I've drifted so far away. I've done so many bad things. I have this thought. And so God couldn't possibly be happy with me. Mm -hmm. But salvation is a gift brought to us through Jesus. And it just helps to think that he is never going to let you go. Yeah. Well, and whether it's a parent or a spouse or a friend or, you know, a mentor, whatever, I think we all have that person that we don't want to let down. So think about, I think that's the same way we are in our faith is while, yes, we believe in God, we have a relationship with him, but when we let him down, we don't think that we can talk to him because he's disappointed in us. But I've found as I get older, I want to lean into him. I had a 
thing that happened earlier this week where I was like, God, you know, why did, you know, what, how did I allow this to happen or for me to make this mistake? And he gently, he's like, you know, and he, you know, kind of graced me through it. He's like, but now, you know, you can go at this tempo and you can go with, you know, and you don't have to make that mistake or go in that direction for anything that's going to point you away from how I want you to be, which is excellent. And, and, and I think that's the thing is that we forget that he's not, you know, ready with his broomstick and belt, you know, I mean, he wants to hold you and go, okay, it's okay. Your emotions are real and you're aware of your own mistakes, which means that you do have that relationship with him enough to have the guilt, to have whatever it is so that he can pull it from you and go, you're okay. I love you and you're going to be okay. Well, and scripture tells us no one can snatch us out of his hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Mm. No one can snatch them. In John 10 verses 27 through 29, if you need a little comfort and and don't we all need some. Let's look at a career coach revealing the age when you're most likely to have a career crisis. I was kind of surprised by this. You know, I think, Mm -hmm. oh, they're going to go for the folks in middle age who are looking back at no, 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 no. If you're 27, you are very likely to be going, whoa, Mm -hmm. is this what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Yeah. I mean, you and I are very blessed in that we knew early on, you know, coming out of college, radio was where we wanted to be, where we felt, you know, this is where I can give my best and get my best. And looking back, I wouldn't do any of that differently. Like there's not another profession. "Ah, I should have gone in TV or I should have been a professional musician or a model or I mean, I'm very pleased to still be saying that after 30 plus years that I'm still doing what I love. But I know that now in this day and age when so many jobs are from home or sometimes they don't necessarily require you to go to college so you can, you know, get in and make good money fast. Then you look back and go, this is not, this is not where I want to be. So what do the experts say about it? Well, 39 is the actual age when people will make the shift. They say, don't wait that long. If you're 27 and you truly dislike what you are doing, when you when you dread Monday, a lot of people Monday is the worst. Yeah, you know, I used to think, oh, I must be weird because I get to see Ace in the morning, and yeah, I get up early, but wow, I have fun. Yeah. You know, let's just get to something that we love to do. And I used to think, well, you know, all the things you love to do are the lower paying jobs, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, our son he tinkered with computers and could not stand high school or college, you know, lands this, his salary's kind of, I, I just blowing. Yeah. I mean, eye boggling and you know, it's his talent. And we we always say, well, yeah, I have to go to college. You have to go to, uh, I don't know. He's doing great as a computer developer and software guy and he loves it. And it's not even like a job. I couldn't do that. I'm not a coder, I don't think, but right. he's just mathematically brilliant and was able to do it. And I, I, I applaud him and he loves it. And sure. so all that about, you got to go to four years of college. What, you know? Well, and I, I love that that's no longer necessarily the necessity, but I will say this in recent conversations I had with my dad, who's now in his eighties, he quickly will say, 
I was great with math. You know, numbers came easy to me. So I thought, oh, I'll be a CPA or work in a bank. And he did that for 30 years plus and hated every day. Like he counted down till Friday. He He's like, he goes, I get to five o'clock on a Wednesday and go, just two more days, just two more days. And he did that for 30 years. And it it hurts my heart to think because he's, I get my work ethic from him, right? And so mm -hmm. to think about that and, you know, to, and when he's like, I, I know you're busy and I know you got a lot going on with family. He's like, you know, we'll see you when we see you. So he understands where I'm coming from, but I think he's also like, you know, you still like what you do. You still happy, you know, and all, and I'm like, yeah, dad, I'm good. You know, I'm great because he doesn't want that for us. And I wouldn't want that for my kids or anyone really like find the thing you love and whether you make the most money you ever thought you needed, God's always going to provide, but I would much rather be happy with less money than to be miserable as a millionaire. Oh, what a good point. I couldn't agree more. Well, Teren Newell has certainly found a job that fits him well. He's like the mortgage guru. Yeah. I mean, he gets up and finds new and innovative ways to make a way for you to get in the home you've always wanted. It's your biggest purchase of your life. Mm -hmm. It's a very important purchase. And you don't want to be locked in on a mortgage rate that makes you want to scream out the window. I mean, that's not good. Yeah. Well, and now we're new enough into the year as we head into February. This is the time to start, you know, thinking about, you know, needing to upgrade your home or maybe you're trying to get your finances as you're doing your taxes. And you're like, yeah, this is the year to get some things in order. And he can help provide those programs. So now in Alabama and Florida, being able to help you get what you need, take care of it, or even as you house hunt, you can find out with pre-approval. So check it out at behammortgage.com or call Turin at 205-259-1656. According to a couple's counselor, things you should never say to your partner. Are we ready? You always, and you never. Ooh. That's a spark finder right there. And I, I will say as being, whether it was in previous marriages or just dating relationships, I tried to always be the peacekeeper. Like if, if there was someone that had set me off, I was usually such a short fuse that you really burned some massive bridge with me. And I was, I, I wanted to make you as equally mad as I was. So I think that's the other thing. When you say things to your spouse, what is it that you're holding on to or harboring? You know, maybe there's a, this is a, an opportunity to kind of assess. Oh yeah. I say that, you know, and then go, okay, let's go to therapy or talk to our pastor or something. Cause we, we have to say the right things to show love and appreciation and respect for each other. You should be more like, Mm. Ouch. Don't compare her to mama. Don't do Ooh. it. You sound you're like just your like mother. your mom, which for me would not have been a good thing to say. But, uh, you know, that was never an issue with my other relationship. How come you're not still with them then? <laughs> oh, <laughs> the one that's Must on here. I wanted a contingency <laughs> on is the yes, but and sorry, mm -hmm. but those uh, like it, it's either yes. Or sorry, if there's a butt on the end of it, that's too many T's. Like just, you're showing it. <laughs> you're showing, you're showing exactly. your butt. You're showing it. And to say to a woman especially the following, you're crazy or calm down. Two things, I'm just saying, biggest no-no ever out of all of them is you're crazy or calm down. Yeah. Bad news. I always say to myself, do I want to be right or do I want to be married? And 
<laughs> nine times out of 10, I'm never right. And I do want to stay married. So, you know, say things that edify and lift up your spouse. And if you, you know, if you need to check yourself on these things, we're not here to judge because we've probably been just as guilty at times. But again, that's why you got a relationship with the Lord. So we can kind of go, okay, Lord, I feel you're reeling me in just a little bit, you know. Oh, the Holy Spirit. I was walking down this very hallway and the Holy Spirit said, mm, we need to turn around. And go talk to our husband mm. about how sorry we are about what you just said. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> and I did. I, I went right in there and said, you know, the, the Lord's talking to me about the way I talk to you. And I'm going to work very hard never to do that again. On top of an I'm sorry that didn't have a but at the end of it, like you said, with two yeah. T's. <laughs> Well, and I think sometimes too, you know, we we do overreact or we think our spouse may be overreacting to something, but I kind of learned this the hard way. Our emotions are real to us. So if I overreact to something and I say or do something that I know is offending her or that, you know, we blow up or whatever, I go back and say, here's where my headspace was when you came to me with that thing. And this is why I'm reacting the way that I did. And I'm wrong. I'm not saying that it justifies my actions. So I apologize for hurting you, for saying what I said, but I'm just letting you know why I reacted the way that I did. And she does the same thing with me. Like I've even heard counselors say, you know, when you come home at the end of the day, rather than thinking that you're both at 50-50 or 100-100, you know, if you come in and you're depleted and you've had maybe the crappiest day of your, you know, month, you go, hey, I'm, I'm on a 20. And then they can go, hey, I got you. I'm I'm your other 80 tonight. Well, what do you need from me? Mm. Like be that because there are going to come days where it's flipped, right? Because not every day, I mean, we're it's impossible to think that every day we're both in the same place, right? Because we have different work environments. We have different responsibilities. You know, sometimes it's things people say on social media that could set us off. And we it's like, I mean, whatever. <laughs> you just don't know. So don't assume that the other person is in the same headspace you are. I mean, that, that I could even go so far like when you're trying to be romantic, if your spouse is not feeling romantic and you're wondering why you're getting pushback, well, you know, you can't just show up on Saturday night and go, woohoo, sexy time. I mean, you got to be working all week <laughs> to be feeding each other so that Saturday night works, right? I mean, it's we just cannot assume things. Yeah, the things you're saying and doing add up and mm -hmm. they help to lead to that. But the number one thing that I love that you said was, what do you need? You know, how can I help you? And mm -hmm. I think there's there's not a person that doesn't react to that because it's putting your spouse and their needs first. Uh, so I love that. What happens in the middle of the night when you can't sleep? What do you typically do, Ace? Well, I know for myself, I typically usually have to use a restroom. And then I lay there and whatever's on my mind, I have this, and I can show it for those watching on YouTube. I have my Holy Spirit necklace that I am always wearing. Like I sleep with this and I'm usually holding on to this while I'm in bed and I'm either praying and sometimes begging God to let me go. <laughs> I got two more hours. Can I please just have these? Or it's a, what do you need from me? Like, why am I awake enough? Is it my flesh? Is it the spirit? You know, what is it that's needed in the moment? 
Now, I know like in comparison to this list of things that we can and should do at 3 a.m., I my wife who wakes up more than I do in the middle of the night with anxiety or things, I gave her and she's like, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> I was like, okay. But she knows what works for her. And, you know, sometimes yeah. for me, I can drift right back off. But, you know, other times, you know, we I start thinking about the day. And sometimes it's easier for me just to get up and start checking the things off. And other than that, I, I, I don't know that it's, it's kind of like a love language, like the middle of the nights depends on who you are as to whether these things or something else may work. Do you have like middle of the night woes that get you going? What is your ritual? Yeah. You know, sometimes you have anxiety and you wake up, they say, the experts say, give it about 15 minutes where you're breathing slowly and relaxing in our case, praying to try to go back to sleep. But that's the limit. If you still can't, you need to get up, move locations and do something calming, like reading until you're sleepy again, and then go back to bed. I've been doing that all wrong. So that's a good tactic that I really want to try. They say, obviously avoid, and I do this too, looking at your phone Hmm. because then you've got blue light. Then that's, then your brain is stimulated. Then you really start thinking about the things you've got to do during your day. They also say, don't look at the clock. That's the first thing I do when I wake up. Oh yeah. That's from radio though, because if you are sleeping when you're supposed to be on the radio, there's nobody on the radio. And it's a big problem and everybody knows you slept in. Well, and my thing, and and I do this too, which right or wrong is I turn the brightness on my screen all the way down so that even if I am like, if I've laid there for 30 minutes and I can't go back to sleep, I might just play a game on my phone or thumb through social media and do it with the dim enough light. So a, I don't wake up my wife, but also so that it's not like brightly, you know, burning my retinas. But, you know, I don't know. I it, it just depends. Like I typically, honestly, if I'm waking up in the middle of the night or something, either it's something that like I, I realize that I've got that I have to do that day and I just want to get it done. Like I want to just check it off, whether it's around the house or in the office or whatever, or it's a financial thing. Like I'm thinking, oh man, money's tight this month. And okay, I, I got these bills clearing by these days. Like that, I start doing all that in my head and it always works itself out. I don't know why I allow myself to go there, but every time I have those anxieties or whatever and God shows out and I'm like, I, I know, I don't, I don't know why now, now not only did I watch you work Lord, but now I need a nap, <laughs> you know, it's a constant state. Well, if you suffer from a lack of sleep and need a little jolt that really tastes and smells fantastic, it is the Roxanne blend of coffee. Yes, I have a coffee that's named after me. I met a coffee gentleman who owned a business out of Mississippi called My Brother's Cup, and I just fell in love with his journey and his mission and what God had had him do in life to proclaim the gospel of Jesus around the world, being a coffee salesman. He said, I'm going to call this coffee and I got to pick it out. The Roxanne blend is super fab. Yeah. And what I love too, as someone who drinks it black, like it has a very distinct flavor that's, you know, with the butterscotch and all the extras like it, even without any extra. So if you like your creams and all that stuff, it's only going to enhance those and it's easy. And you know, you're helping to make a difference in the kingdom. So find out more at mybrotherscup.com or go to roxanneandace.com to order yours today.
We're Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. So excited when we get to tell you about new movies, things you should be watching, whether it's with your sweetie or with your family. And really, when it's faith-oriented, it ties in perfectly to this show. Oh, we are just so excited about our next guest. He is a writer, a filmmaker, a great storyteller. He has worked with New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, all the biggies putting together movies. But there was the shift a short film that has turned into a $6 million phenomenon that Angel Studios has decided to distribute. We're super excited. Some of the shooting happening in central Alabama, our neck of the woods, and some friends of ours participated. So we, we feel a special kinship to the shift and the wonderful director that brought us, brought us this great film. So we welcome today Brock Heasley. Hi there. Hey, Lisa, Ace, thank you so much for having me on today. So, Brock, just starting right out, tell us about Kevin and Molly. So, Kevin is an ordinary guy, and he's struggling in his marriage with Molly. Uh, he's struggling at work. He's just struggling in general. It's it's He's not a, a person that I think... Uh, he, he's, he's the kind of guy everybody can identify with. And he gets into a little, little bit of trouble. He meets up with this very mysterious stranger known as the Benefactor. He calls himself the Benefactor. And he's got some powers. Um, he can move people between realities. And he and Kevin have this confrontation. And as a result of this confrontation, Kevin ends up banished to a dark, parallel, tyrannical world. And he is fighting now to get back to the woman he loves, back to his own world. It's based loosely on the book of Job. A lot of similarities. Right. Can't you tell there. by that description? Like, it just <laughs> totally sounds like the book of Job, right? But you know, it's what the devil does. He he tempts us. He he did that mm -hmm. to Jesus. You know, and when we're stripped of everything, do we still proclaim our love for the Lord? And and I love that uh the main character is able to do that and that it's a great victory story. It's also shot, you know, I, I don't know of any film that's like multiverse themed within the Christian genre. Mm. So it's very unique. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's not a it's Sci-fi and, and faith generally don't mix. In fact, <laughs> a really quick way to tick off sci-fi fans is to introduce any kind of religious element. Um, there, there are some who just don't don't think that the the two should meet. And the same goes true for people who who are you know whose faith that's very important to them, and they think, well, my God is not fictional; you should not be messing with that. But the thing about sci-fi is is that it is it is a way to get at ideas and principles. Um, through the use of metaphor and allegory in a way that I think, uh, you know, that, that, that great literature can do, that, that great genre can do. It's just another way into ideas that we're very familiar with. And the film is obviously fictional. That's the point of making it a multiverse movie for me. And I'm such a fan of sci-fi. Yeah. But through that, I, you know, the shift is, I believe, and, and for those that, that, that have really connected with the film, it's an incredible expression of faith um, within within sci-fi as crazy as that sounds it, it it does work well and i know that a lot of times within fiction especially when you're talking about things of spiritual you know why tell a fake story when there's so many real stories of how you know god right. has worked or jesus has intervened in some capacity but as you tell this story i i know that from when we've talked with other directors there's a piece of themselves that's in their films so what mm -hmm. is it about you that we see as these characters and this storyline plays out. Yeah, so one of the big central themes of the of the shift is that it is through these 
dark experiences, through the darkness that enters our lives. And that's that's all of us. Every single person, we have, you know, terrible things that that happen to us, either something that we cause, but but usually things that we don't cause, usually just things that happen and that we have to deal with. And the shift, I believe, very much makes the argument that it's through the this darkness that enters our lives that we perceive the light, the light of God specifically, um, more clearly. And for me, I saw this most uh, obviously in my life. Um, my father was shot in an armed robbery when I was 12 years old. He was shot 13 times and he lived. And then eight years later, the exact same circumstance repeated itself. And he was the victim of a second armed robbery. And that time he died. Now, during that time, I did a lot of growing up. Those are pretty formative years. And so when I was 12 years old, I got to see the way that my father handled the first shooting, which was obviously traumatic and painful, but he forgave the men that 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 harmed him. And he never spoke ill about them, and he, he didn't live the next eight years of his life with any kind of bitterness. By the time he died, and he was the, the victim of a second armed robbery, I was an adult now, a very young adult, but I processed everything differently. And I had this moment after I found out that he had been killed of just just anger, just this this flash of anger, because I realized that two men had killed him. Two men had intended to kill him. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't happenstance. Two men went in with the intent to kill him, and they succeeded. They took him from this life. It took him from me, from my family, and, and caused all of us a tremendous amount of pain. And so I had this swell of anger that that came up, and then immediately it was it, it was just gone. It was completely gone, and it was replaced by a love and an empathy that I can only point to Christ as the source of it. Because I have an understanding as a Christian that someone has died for all of us, that we are all children of God, that these men didn't grow up probably wanting to be murderers, and, and, and that they had gone astray at some point. And what I realized was is that the tragedy that had happened that night, the greater tragedy was not what had happened to my father, it was what these men had done to themselves. It was the fact that they had taken someone's life and whether they realized it that night or not, and chances are they didn't, or whether it would be in this life or the next, they would come to an understanding of what they have done. I have sinned. I know what that feels like. I know I know how that depresses my soul. I know what that does to me, but I've never committed a sin of that magnitude. So I can only imagine what these men are eventually going to have to go through um, as they come to an understanding of what they've done. And so that just allowed me to have I, I honestly felt like I got this glimpse of the love that God must have for each one of us because he loves those men just as much as he loves my father, despite mm -hmm. what they've done. Yeah. And just as he loves all of us, his love is not something we deserve, but it's something we receive anyway. And so these men have that love. I have that love. And how can I not help but have that love as well? Because that's the example. That's who I follow. Um, and so I have, I forgave those men that night and I have never felt any anger or bitterness towards them since then. And that was Oh gosh, that was 28 years ago. So, you know, it, it was it was a bit ago. And, and I can honestly say I have not felt that. And so when I look at that experience, I look at the light that entered my life through that experience, through the darkest experience of my life. I perceive the light and the love of God in a way I never could have otherwise. How can we not look at that and understand the purpose of darkness, the purpose of trial, the purpose of these horrible things we go through is so that we can feel the opposite in a more powerful way which is the light and the love of God. And so to me, that's none of that story is in the shift, but that lesson, that, that idea, that principle, I think is powerfully exhibited in this, yes, fictional story. But the truths that the, the shift is, is expressing are very, very real. 
and it's become your life's purpose. This one was an eight-year journey. Tell us about that. Well, yeah. When uh, when you decide to become a filmmaker, you decide to be poor. That's the first thing you decide <laughs> to do. And uh, and really, you know, deciding to be a filmmaker really wasn't something that I did. It, it was I I had had a career as a graphic artist and an art director, never thinking I'd get into filmmaking. But then I lost my job, and um, you know. Where to go next became a matter of prayer, and the Lord very clearly pointed me towards filmmaking, which was not something I'd ever considered. And I got into it knowing full well that my three daughters and my, and my wife, I was not going to be able to support them properly, but somehow we did. We made it through what turned out to be an eight-year journey um, from uh, creating a, a short film for $500 uh, called The Shift. That was the first thing I ever wrote and directed just to see if I could do it. Turned out pretty well. Angel Studios saw it. They thought it was pretty good too. They said, let us help you make this into a feature film. And so it just took some time. And all films take some time to, to get going and, and to be made. But for my family, embarking on this brand new journey that we didn't really have any idea what we were doing at first, um, it, it was it was quite it was a it was another trial of faith, quite honestly. Um, and very one that's been very much worth it. The film is out now. Um, and it is uh it is having an impact and it's having in a lot of ways an even bigger impact than I anticipated. It's been incredible. That's awesome. What's the best way for people to stream this if they're wanting to watch it? Well, right at this very moment, it is available exclusively on early access as a member of the Angel Guild. And what that is, is that is uh, if you go to angel.com slash guild shift, um, you can become an Angel Guild member. And that allows you to stream Angel uh, movies on early access. It gets you free tickets to all Angel Studios movies and it allows you access uh, as well. You can stream, um, you know, other shows they have like The Chosen and Wing Feather Saga and, and other things. Um, and right now, the shift is only available to, to, to Angel Guild members. But very soon now, um, we're finalizing our DVD and Blu-ray. That'll be out real soon. You'll be able to buy that anywhere. Amazon, Angel, uh, dot com, all those places. And then, of course, it'll hit rental and purchase on 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 all the places you'd expect, Apple and everything. So we're going to be rolling out. You know, we've concluded our, our wide theatrical release. It went all over the place. Um, but I should also say that for, for some of our international friends, uh, places like Latin America and even Scandinavia, they're going to be getting the shift um, in theaters there. Uh, in the coming months as well. So we're still rolling it out to the whole world. But uh, but right now, if you want to watch it at home, angel.com slash guild shift. Brock Heasley, an amazing story. What a tribute. This is your uh, debut as a director and look what God yeah. has done. And so all that effort obviously is worth it. What's up next for you? Are you resting right now? <laughs> <laughs> I am not resting. I uh <laughs> I, I look, I love, I love what I do. And so I'm, I'm continuing to go. Uh, I'm, we're in talks with, uh, with uh, getting another project going. Um, it's, it is another uh, movie, another sci-fi movie. In fact, that, huh. that does not shy away from faith. I, I think that there's more to explore within the genre and I'm excited to do it. That's cool. Well, Brock, we appreciate you taking the time and uh, we'll be ready with popcorn in hand to see what's coming and uh, look forward to having you back. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate you both. Do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 2.21. What does all that mean? Well, it means when we try to be good enough and work hard enough for God, we mm. think we'll get into heaven and it's going to be a great party yeah. and it's going to be fabulous. Only if we have that attitude you know, you'll see on secular programs where a lot of people, they're asked about faith and they say, well, 
good person. I think I'll be in heaven. Well, hey, that has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Our salvation is a gift from God brought to us by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when we make it anything other than that, then it's taking his death in vain. And I certainly don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, and I, this is why I love, you know, as a musician, that music is such a big part of my life. Part of my day is sometimes it's songs that remind me of that righteousness that he has gifted. Like it's all coming from him. It has nothing to do with what I have done or haven't done or need to still do. It's leaning and pressing in the fact that he died on the cross. And that ultimately is what allows us to get right with God so that we can be righteous. And, 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 and it's another reminder too, that music in itself or worship within itself is a celebration of what he did. And it's a celebration of our relationship with him. That's why I always say, what's your anthem, right? Like I always say, like my big one has always been feel invincible by skillet. Cause it's, you know, rah, it's, you know, it's a fist, you know, in the air, I, the tiger kind of song, but the lyrics are about that you make me feel invincible, that only Jesus can make me feel that way. And so I, I, I love that we can think about how righteous, the pursuit of righteousness in our life is to be right with God. Mm, that's beautiful. We should do, talk about that sometime on the podcast. What is your anthem, your Christian anthem? You know, and for me, it's always, I can only imagine by mercy me, the first Christian concert I ever saw with my little girl. Yeah. And got to meet them and oh. they're genuine, man. It's <sighs> and if you haven't seen the movie behind the song, it's uh, totally worth it. You gotta check that out. All right. Now we talk about something odd, and I just don't care. I want to <laughs> talk about it. The fact that four thousand people are hospitalized every year because they're placing objects in orifices. And I'm not just being gross, I'm talking about in ears and in your nose. But is it like a certain age? Because like I could see like statistically, like I remember as a kid, like, you know, you hear stories of, you know, oh, Johnny, he got a pen stuck up his nose. He thought he could get it all the way to tickle his brain. It was itching, you know, or whatever it is. But I, th I think it, it is it more adults. It's a lot of adults because of sex toys. Let's just I mean, we're just going to let yeah. it all hang out. But here's the thing why we're talking about it is because I'm kind of in a state of shock. Here's when, what went into people's ears. <laughs> a cuffling. At what point did you uh, wet tissues, a plastic sore, that's probably a kid, an insect. There's a lady on TikTok who turns her head and a Big butt real spider comes crawling out of her ear. Nope. She starts screaming and vomiting. No, it was in there. Oh, like it wow. had laid eggs and it was coming out. Oh my okay. A lollipop. At what point did you say, I'm going to take this lollipop and insert it in my eardrum? Well, and I noticed that I think I was this, I was like this week. How do they say it? You, I'm like today years old, realizing like within the last week, did you know that Q-tips, nowhere on the packaging does it say that it's like it tells you, do not put in your ear. How many how many years of our lives have we been using Q-tips 
for that purpose. Like it's for taking off makeup and, you know, putting on medicine when you have a boo-boo. Like, what do we, and what's crazy, I know it and I still use them the same way. And just, we, we were raised for that. But here's what, what went into people's noses. Gum wrappers, a used match, a magnet, candy hearts, yarn, jewels, gummy worms, orange peels, an LED light, popcorn kernels. And what this was a boy. They went wow. up to do like surgically remove a battery that was going into his sinus cavity. What are, are we so bored that this is like, this sounds like stuff Gen Xers would have done, but there was no video evidence, you know, because we didn't have cell phones and, you know, iPads to, you know, control our times and video games to overwhelm us. We went outside and did things that we didn't want mama to know about. I mean, maybe, maybe that is part of the thrill of it. Hey, film this. I'm going to put a gummy worm. Right. I, okay. But anyway, we're strange. You're right. Boredom, entertainment, mm-hmm. an oddity. Well, with what that, my parents would have done had I done something like that to me would have stopped me instantly. I'm fortunate enough, and praise God, I've never had to go to the ER for myself. I've what? gone. I've had to take my children, but I've never had to oh, go for myself. Really? So yeah. So I, I, I feel like I did pretty well. Like there's no video evidence of the things I did that were dumb, but anything that I did do that probably could have landed me, like you don't talk about believing in a, you know, uh, guardian angel. I mean, I'm sure every time I was on a bike or, you know, hanging out with my friends, I mean, that's a very thing, you know? So it's, you know, we're still here. We're still breathing. God is good. But I know... <laughs> With all of that said, let's talk about our vibes of the week. So I wanted to check in. What are you vibing on? There is a book called Making Miracles. It's an old book. You know, Second and Charles is a used bookstore, and I find a lot of things in it. And it talks about daring to succeed from Second Chronicles 15.7. You know, the shepherd will guide us. He's there to chase after the one. But here's what he did with David. David was prepared and willing. And yes, God was with David, but David had to really step up. He had to grasp that rock. He talked to that Philistine. Mm -hmm. He said, Goliath, you're gone. You're not going to make fun of my God. And he stepped up and he did it. And it's a reminder that it is up to us to make the effort. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my vibe this week, I found that the Kelsey brothers have their own podcast And the stories they share, not only about like, you know, being in the NFL or being in their relationships and all that, you get that scoop, right? But the family, the bond between the two of them or when they have their mom on and she tells stories of them when they were younger and like, it's, it's just such a beautiful family. Like there's just so much about that, that is real and raw, which, you know, we try to be as transparent as that on this show as well. But I, I, I can't stop listening to them. Like I, every story, like I want to be a Kelsey, like, please adopt me. Let, <laughs> let me come over for Thanksgiving or something. It's just, and, and I know as they're transitioning to the next season of life, like as you know, um, I know that with, you know, the Super Bowl, we got to wait, you know, for Travis to get done and whatever happens there happens, but there's talks that he and Taylor are going to get married and he's going to 
go to the next phase of life. His brother's already retired. So, you know, hearing their like they've already captured America. So I love the fact that, you know, in in a day and age when football kind of is seen as, well, it's rigged or it's, you know, it's all about money. You have these two guys that just from the very youngest of age, they picked up a football and that just defined where they knew they wanted to do the rest of their life. And, you know, and they had adventures together and they love each other genuinely. And it just, it's a beautiful thing. So that's my vibe. It's, it's, it's been pretty much dominating most of my audible time <laughs> In the last week. <laughs> well, the bit about their favorite cereals is hilarious. So they're funny and they're deep. Yep. And uh, they're fun to watch for sure. Well, we appreciate you listening to this show. Hopefully we are your vibe. And of course, remember to try, subscribe, like, and follow so you don't miss future episodes. Thanking my brother's cup and Birmingham Mortgage Group for another great week. Have a great weekend, Roxanne. I love you. Love you bunches. You've been listening to Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. To make sure you don't miss future shows, you can subscribe anywhere you like to podcast and catch up on anything you've missed. Find out more at RoxanneAndAce.com. Roxanne and Ace Unlimited is a production of Spacebird Media.